tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys, and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Welcome back to another week on the Geek's Watch. That's right, this week we're talking about all the geek news. We're doing a special episode of Just Geek News, and it should be pretty uh, informative, I think. Um, We'll have to see what everybody is enjoying and talking about this week john and why they think that or why we think it's uh something to talk about so uh before we get started on news let's let's talk about it again a little bit more what did uh you had a little bit of a snippet of stuff that came out yeah so it is now officially the highest grossing horror movie of all time and i kind of wonder why (laughs) because <laughs> it was okay. And I mean, if you're like a teenager, I guess it could be scary. Or if you're like uh, my friend that I took with me, it might be scary. But, you know, you, that also meant you were sheltered quite a bit. Um, it wasn't bad. You know, that we discussed last time, I thought it was serviceable. It was fine. Not particularly scary, but not bad. But... That seems to be uh, in the minority of uh, opinions because it's making all the money. So, who's to say, you know, what it is about this particular movie that's just making it hit all the right notes with plus people? I don't know. I, th- I guess it would have to be a little bit of the, the whole nostalgia factor. Um, the fact that the box office this, uh, alone this summer was pretty weak. Um, I think there's a lot of contributing factors that made it so that this was probably the, or is the highest grossing horror movie, uh, of all time, which I I still find that to be odd. It's just, I mean, every Friday 13th movie, every Nightmare on Elm Street movie, I don't know. It just seems to have come out at the exact right time that it needed to. Yeah. I think there was definitely a lot of confluences coming together at the exact right moment yeah so i guess what this implies is that we uh there's gonna be a lot of pressure to deliver on the sequel chapter two is definitely gonna have a lot of pressure on it um i i am more excited for chapter two than i am for chapter one so that's that's something but uh well yeah we'll have to see if it if it delivers or not well, you also have an extra 15 minutes to look forward to because uh, word has it the director is currently working on a 15-minute extra director's cut for the uh, eventual Blu-ray release. So oh. Oh. if you didn't get enough of it, you know there will be a little bit more to 
you know, help satisfy your clown needs. Any idea on what those extra 15 minutes is? Did they did they say, did they hint at anything? They have said, well, it was Bill Skarsgård, a uh, guy who plays Pennywise, right. has already come out and described a few deleted scenes uh, from the movie. I'm guessing that's probably going to get cut back or, you know, pasted back into the movie. What exactly the nature of those scenes is, I don't know yet. Uh, I haven't caught his descriptions of it. But my guess would be that's what it that's what we'd be getting is you know what he remembers them filming but not putting in the final products oh okay so uh that would be definitely something interesting to see for the next uh for for the blu-ray release um let's see first thing i wanted to talk about is tmz catches up with Quentin Tarantino at the airport and kind of um, I don't know what's the best way to put ambushes him with a question like a completely out of the blue question and it's just like hey uh, if they asked you to would you direct a Star Trek movie and he says uh, uh, we definitely sit down and talk about it first and you know people are kind of rushing to it. oh Quentin Tarantino would direct a Star Trek movie it's like that's not exactly what he said but he didn't say no either yeah, I would file that under wishful thinking. I don't think Tarantino would ever want to do it. Um, just because of the way he is, he seems to prefer working off of his own uh, yeah. scripts. Yeah, exactly. He'd want he does his own thing. He, he creates his own stories and stuff. He d- he wouldn't want something that was gonna be like a committee behind it, like Star Wars is, you know, or Star Trek probably is also. They're not gonna. They don't want something that uh, he'd have to answer to somebody else. And not only that, but I think his style doesn't really lend itself to that kind of specific science fiction. <laughs> yeah, with, uh, you know, I don't know how they would do all the blood <laughs> that he usually needs. but Well, that being said, although this is probably just a real flippant, like, give him a non-answer, you know, to the media that is TMZ, if you could call it that. It does present a couple of interesting possibilities. Let's say, for instance, he does get into talks. And according to that same TMZ article I was looking at, um, he Tarantino has come out and said he only has about two more movies to go before he retires. Yeah, they, it did say, he did reconfirm that. And that's the whole, after 10 movies, he's done. He doesn't, yeah. He's going to retire. One and done. So, it, I mean, what... Star Trek fall in one of those would he really want to you know use up one of his lives essentially to make a Star Trek movie but it does if you play around with it a little bit I actually would like to see something in the Star Trek universe outside of just following the same crew that we have been for like the past 30 years uh, whether it's new generation or you know original series Um, how about something from the Klingon point of view like I'd be kind of cool to see them when they were slightly less developed maybe their first first contact with another alien race and how that influenced them that would give them the opportunity to be super violent you know have us show like show us the klingon side of things from before they were basically neutered those are definitely stories that could uh you know happen um i i would like to see it too but i'm also not a hardcore star trek fan so I don't know how those people would react to such a thing. They already had a problem with J.J. Uh, Abrams' version of the Kelvin timeline, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, the splitting of the timelines. Yeah. Um, eventually, though, 
from my understanding, uh, and they kind of hint at it in the movie, um, supposedly at some point the timelines would reconverge. So if you think of it like, um, sort of like the way that Doc Brown describes the the splitting of the timelines in Back to the Future Part Two, mm-hmm. you know, you you get a split and then you have the the regular timeline and then the alternate. Um, at some point in the Star Trek universe, those two timelines would eventually go back together and everything would be back to normal. Kind of described as a ripple. Where I, I don't know if it would be back to normal, but I think it would be that the two of them come together and, and, and course correct. It's, yeah, that's what I was trying to get to, essentially. Yeah, so um, this whole split alternate timeline was really just a plot device to have a younger crew. Right. That's really all it was. And put and, them in new situations. Yeah, and I mean, the people who were like, oh, you destroyed my Star Trek. No, it's still there. <laughs> this is just a split timeline that eventually will not matter. <sighs> you know, we're just seeing, this is more like a what if situation. Yeah, this is the, the mirror universe, but one of the other mirror universes. Exactly. Yeah. As a matter of fact, this could be the mirror universe where Spock uh, grows the goatee and messes around with the other universe because <laughs> this Spock has definitely got some emotional issues. That's true. Yeah, that is very true. Yeah, he's not the calm, calculated type. He's the kind that's ready to go on rampages. <laughs> uh, would you be down to see a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek? Absolutely. Like I said, if the tone and the subject fit his directorial style, yes. If he was just going to do another following the captain of a starship on a mission to whatever, nah. That that he I don't think that would be I, his flavor. I don't I just don't think that they'd be able to do a PG or he'd be able to do a PG-13 movie. And he wouldn't really have to. I mean, like let's do a rated R Star Trek. It doesn't have to I mean, Tarantino's not known for uh, like let's say graphic nudity, for instance. Right. There's, there's very little in any of his movies. I can't think of any in any of the movies. There's a little bit in like Django, and you see. Oh yeah, that's true. There's in Django. You see what's her name's butt in uh, in Foxy Brown. What was it? Uh, Pam Greer. Yeah. No, not Pam Greer. The. Bridget Fonda. Yes, thank you. I was gonna say the the surfer girl, but no. she's not really a surfer, more like a stoner. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. And, I mean, as far as gore is concerned, yeah, he does a little bit of gore here and there, but normally he's pretty subdued with that stuff unless he's trying to, you know, make a specific point, like let's say in Grindhouse or Kill Bill. I mean, those are very specific to that type of thing. If you are going to do that, though, you, you know, could definitely get away with doing that with Klingons, for instance. And, you know, they have a very savage culture. They fight monstrous creatures. They're basically like the Predators, Except with like forehead ridges instead of mandibles, <laughs> which we, I kind of want to bring this up since we're talking about Star Trek. Did are you watching the Orville on Fox? Seth MacFarlane's. I am show? not, but I take it that it's kind of like a little bit of Galaxy Quest. So okay, I, I think a lot of people were expecting Galaxy Quest, and it's really not. I mean, there there is some comedy, but it's not like making. It's not a parody of Star Trek. It's more of a. Seth MacFarlane being like, I love Star Trek. I want to make my own Star Trek. Oh, well, they won't let me take Star Trek. I'm going to do my own thing. And it, I, I think it's a really good show. But I'm also not a huge Star Trek fan. So I just think it's a great great show on its own. Well, that sounds cool. I wouldn't consider uh, Galaxy Quest to be a parody. If anything, people have called it more of like an homage. I'll give you homage, but it's definitely a parody. It's definitely it's... a parody of uh, of 
the original series. It's, the it's, Star Trek, the original series. It's kind of meta, yeah, because it also, I mean, it it talks about the TV show, but also the repercussions of like what that show's effect had on the lives of the cast. So, uh, you know, like, yeah, there's <laughs> there's some famous incidences of uh, uh, James T. Kirk, William Shatner, uh-huh. uh basically lashing out at fans, saying, right. like, it was just a TV show, guys. Like, you guys are, like, taking this way too seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a little bit of that in Galaxy Quest. So I think it was more of trying to, like, in a loving way, because it's definitely not trying to bash the source mm-hmm. material. Oh, no, not not at all. Not it's a- more like, hey, you know, like, this was a cool show that everybody loved, but it also kind of messed up the people's lives who were in it, because you have, uh, you know, um, Alan Rickman's character who absolutely hates that he was typecast and could never be taken seriously as an actor. And had and, a catchphrase. And, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he's probably one of my favorite things about the movie, just the way he plays it so stoically and, yeah, uh, you know, bitter, but em- eventually embraces it. But, uh, no, yeah, uh, I've seen the trailers for it, the commercial for the Orville, and I do want to check it out. I just haven't gotten around to it. But well, I, if you if get a you, chance, you should definitely check it, check it out. Yeah, it, it sounds really cool from what everybody's been saying, and now you confirming it, I'm like, yeah, I'll definitely check it out. It sounds awesome. Uh, next thing I wanted to bring up is Terminator. Terminator. A franchise that's near and dear to my heart. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I remember watching Terminator 2 at the drive-in back when that was still a thing. <laughs> Way back in, uh, what was it, 92? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's when that came out. I think was so, yeah. Yeah, I remember two big things happened in that year. Uh, Terminator 2, I became a huge fan of that series. I think it was the first one I saw. I don't remember seeing the first Terminator because I would have been four years old when that first came out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Terminator 2 was right when I was about 11 or 12. And then also my first exposure to Guns N' Roses, thanks to that song on the soundtrack, um, You Could Be Mine, from Appetite for Destruction Volume 2. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so enough of that little Terminator tangent. Linda Hamilton will be reprising the role of Sarah Connor. So not only Arnold Schwarzenegger coming back, but also Linda Hamilton coming back as Sarah Connor. Yeah. Which uh, she, Linda Hamilton, the actress, has not been involved since Terminator 2. So we've had three movies in general uh, where they've um, they, they've made Terminators and then a TV show. Well, if I'm not mistaken, though, I think that she did record some lines for Terminator Salvation. Really? I believe that uh, when John Connor's listening to those audio tapes, that is her. And I think those were new lines that were recorded. Uh, if, and I remember thinking that was kind of a big deal because I figured she'd never come back to it. Um, but that being said, yeah, I think that was the extent of her involvement. Yeah, since then, we've had Lena Headey play her on the Sarah Connor Chronicles on TV. And we've had Amelia Clark play a younger version of Sarah Connor. But see, it's not younger. It's it's supposed to be the same age as Sarah Connor in the first movie. Oh, she looks like such a baby compared to well, Sarah Connor in the original. Amelia Clark just looks like a, like a young a young woman. She's got that little cherub face. But you know, also like look at the like the people in the eighties. Like they just seemed like they wanted to be older or something. I don't know. Like all that big hair just made people look older. Actually, I feel like that's true for every generation before ours. All the like. 
people who were a certain age just looked older. Like people in high school looked like they were in their thirties. <laughs> well, that might just be because of the TV shows that we watch, where they oh, actually no, cast thirty-year-olds as. I'm talking about like actual like if you go back and look at those old yearbooks, it, you that's know, where true. they got the feathered hair and yeah. like the. That's what I'm saying. The big hair makes people look older. <laughs> it's I don't know what it is. It's and then for some reason they had bigger mustaches when they were in the oh, 80s yeah. and just everybody looked like they were straight out of a porno in the <laughs> 70s. Doesn't matter who it was. Like grandpa. Like what the So, uh yeah, I mean one I, I imagine it's got to be a little I don't I don't know. I have no idea about their relationship, but you know, James Cameron and, and Linda Hamilton were married at one point. So I was going to say yeah, they used to smash, but <laughs> you said it much more eloquently. Yeah. Um, so coming back to work with him, which he would only be doing the movie in a producer standpoint, it's supposed to be directed by Tim Miller who directed Deadpool. Yes. But unlike all the previous Terminators, uh, after Terminator two, he's actually going to be involved in the story process of this one. Yeah, ex- I mean, but you know, I don't know. Every single it seems like every single one since Terminator Two, I've seen him come and do a interview talking about how because he's still a producer in all those movies about how you know this is one that I would have made if I was making the the next Terminator movie. And that's the power of money. I, I and I understand, <laughs> but how am I supposed to take this one any more serious than? The other three. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy the other three movies. I, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think people get way too um, lost up or, or uh, uh, bent out of shape about those movies. The same thing with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull with Indiana Jones. Like, If you actually go watch Lost, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark or Temple of Doom or Last Crusade, there's a lot of fantastical, weird things that shouldn't be happening in those movies either, but... When it comes to Crystal Skull, Shia LaBeouf swinging through the vines with monkeys, and people just go fucking crazy and decide they, they need to throw throw their poop at people. Yeah. Well, I think the problem is that you end on a certain high note with certain series, and to continue beyond them, it just kind of feels like you're just doing it for the money. I mean, well, of course they're doing for the money. It's, it's you're a always business. you're always doing it for the money, but you also should know when to quit. For instance, Indiana Jones ended perfectly with the Last Crusade. They're literally like riding off into the sunset. They're riding off into the sunset in all the all of them. It, but this one is like you know they the Holy Grail. How much more like epic could you get than that? I mean, the first movie you had the Ark of the Covenant. The second movie, whatever. The third <laughs> movie you have. <laughs> The, uh, you know, the Holy Grail, like what could be more meaningful as far as artifacts are concerned to like, I mean, other than finding the full intact, like Noah's Ark, you know, <laughs> that would have been a good way to close well, out I, actually. I, you know, you, I figure if you, they already did the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Grail. Why not do the Spear of Destiny? Exactly. Yeah. Or like the actual cross, you know, or... <laughs> Or the shroud, you know. Or the shroud of turn. Well, that, that was already a thing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, maybe the nails that they used. I yeah. Don't know. Fair enough. Uh, look, I, I'm just saying that with the Terminator movies, especially since Terminator is is highly involved with time travel, the the idea is that they they can do lots of different stories because it's time travel. You can change things as many times as you want because it's time travel. See, well, here's. 
where I stand on the whole Terminator thing. I think it really should have ended with Terminator 2. It was one of those that didn't need to be a trilogy. The first one set it up. The second one paid it off. If you did have to have a third movie, it should have been sort of a prequel that takes place in the future time, which is kind of a weird way to put it. Well, that's what Salvation was. But it sucked, though. It did not <laughs> it was suck. Terrible. What was wrong with it? Uh, I think Christian Bale was miscast as John Connor. I think the direction the story was going, there was actually kind of a different cut I remember reading about because, uh, you know, weird-ass me, I like reading scripts of movies sometimes. And I just had to read Terminator Salvations because I'm like, I feel like there was a good movie here, but it didn't end up on screen. I don't know if that had to do with the fact that it was McG behind it. <laughs> um, but the original concept of the movie was actually much more interesting. If you remember Helena Bonham Carter, um, played like a dying cancer victim or something that was also funding some kind of research into uh, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Well, it looks like in the original version of the movie, and there was even some like test footage or test uh, makeup that they did for it. Um, part of the reason why they were working on human Terminator hybrids was as a way of prolonging um, human life. Essentially, they would be able to transfer your mind into the body of a machine, which is what they ended up doing with, what's his name? Marcus, right. Marcus something. Marcus Phoenix, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> what was his real name? Oh, Sam uh, Worthington. Sam Worthington, yes. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so essentially he was going to be the like the experiment or the prototype for doing that. And in the later part of the movie, you were going to run into Helena Barnum Carter again, uh, looking like she was alive and well. And then she was going to get damaged, and then you'd find out, oh, she's a Terminator 2. What the heck? Like, what's going on here? And you realize, oh, it was going to be sort of a... The whole point of Skynet was to prolong human life, to give people longevity. It was basically the transcendence, where, you know, man will become machine. Um, where did that story end up? I have no idea. That well, I mean, that doesn't really make any sense in the Terminator world, though. Why would Skynet be there to prolong human life when the other three movies that we've seen, they just want to destroy human life? Well, that's the thing. There was supposed to be a conflict that happened where man versus machine became the real thing, and it would tell us exactly why Skynet decided to turn against us. I mean, they basically tried to say, well... In Terminator 2, and see, this is part of the problem. Terminator 2 ties up all, any loose ends, really. And there was two versions of the ending. There was the ending we got, which is they're driving off into the night. Right, and there's the ending road. where you see John Carter as a, as yeah. a senator. Yeah, then you see, yeah, the alternate ending, which is on the special edition DVD, is John Connor is now like a, a, a senator, yeah. I think. And uh, Linda Hamilton somehow is not in jail. <laughs> for life for all the stuff that she did uh, i'm pretty sure that blowing up a couple of buildings could be constituted as terrorism even before 9-11 happened yeah um but yeah she's talking she's for some reason still making uh audio journals um and talking about we averted doomsday or uh judgment day judgment day and um you know, I guess every day is a blessing now and, and whatever. And, I mean, that put a nice bow on it. It was like, okay, so the future never happened. Paradoxes be damned because <laughs> if the Terminator never, never goes back in time, then John technically should have never been born. So I kind of was hoping if they ever did have to keep going with the story that they have to explain that whether they want to or not, Skynet has to send back the Terminator 
Otherwise, Skynet wouldn't exist. And John Connor is just sort of a consequence of that. But see, I mean, that's when you get in any time travel movie, you're going to have these type of paradoxes. It's it's all going to end up... It, I've, I guess I just follow on the whole... As soon as you send someone back in time, it creates an alternate timeline. So when that happens, it happened. So that you don't need... If you destroy Skynet, you don't need to... They don't need to send... It doesn't create a paradox because they've already created the, <laughs> Go ahead. the Terminator. The Terminator already came back. Do we so. need to get the dry erase board out? I'll, I'll dock brown this for <laughs> we'll you. Don't worry. Out. <laughs> <laughs> See, I feel like Looper did that correctly. Where they tell you, they show you that time is sort of fluid. So things that are happening in the past affect things in the future, like in real time. Right. And vice versa. Mm-hmm. That was a really cool concept. Um, I really like that. And for that same reason, I really like Primer. Because uh, Shane Carruth, I think, also had like a really good idea about how time travel would work in a realistic way. Uh, which Yeah, it, but Primer is so so confusing. It's dense. It's but, very dense. But there are several videos on YouTube that help break it down. <laughs> and trust me, you'll get a whole new appreciation. Or you'll just think like this is all just bullshit. Have you ever seen that? Uh, I think it's I think it's a Spanish film called Time Crimes. I've heard of it. I have not seen it. Yeah, you should definitely give that a, a watch. But yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I I've gone cross-eyed just like Austin Powers now. So let's uh, let's skip over to uh, something else. Uh, Damon Lindenoff tweeted out, or uh, yeah, you know, either tweet. I don't remember how he did. Instagram, Instagram talking about how uh, they have HBO has officially ordered the pilot episode of Watchmen series. What do you think about that? Well, Lindelof is involved, so <laughs> I deduct points immediately for that. How, but I know, and we've gone over this, but like HBO just came off of a Lindenoff show that did really well for them. It was the, the leftovers. Like people loved that show. So, uh, maybe he's, he's better at that than he is at the alien movies. Well, I think Lindelof kind of rides on the coattails of whatever property he's working with. So if a property is already good, he'll be serviceable at best. I don't think he's going to elevate Watchmen to anything greater than it already is. So the least I can hope for is that he just doesn't screw it up. <laughs> um, that being said, I'm kind of a little bit nervous that his involvement means they're just going to purposely obfuscate the plot in order to drag it out into like multiple seasons. If we know for a fact this is going to be like a five-season run, then I'll probably be a little bit more at ease because that means they have a diff- like definite endpoint right and it's not going to leave all these weird like open ended like situations and plot lines hanging um and they won't rush to just kind of try to write it all off at the end you know yeah but i don't see i don't i don't see how you can stretch out that story into five seasons i mean you think 10 episodes a season 50 uh, episodes total you think they can stretch out watchmen that far i think we're gonna get some of the before watchmen stuff in there well i i i I, what I think is that the first season itself, maybe the first and second season will be the the original Watchmen story that we we've we've, no, we've seen already and read, and then after that they'll he'll start creating some new stuff for it for the world. 
so we'll get the whole first uh well the first season will be Watchmen proper. Right. And then everything after that will be the consequences and ramifications. Yes. So and, and flashbacks to before Watchmen. Interesting. So that would be a good way to bring back the characters that die mm-hmm. or leave the earth. Right. <laughs> um, that's interesting. All right. Well, I could see that. And, and I mean, honestly, that's all speculation. I have no idea like where that would come from, but that's what I, that's how I see it playing out. Well, I just hope it's good. I mean, I hope they do some good casting. Uh, for all its faults, I love the movie. And I thought the casting was pretty spot on for the most part. I did. I love the movie too. I think Billy Crudup was probably one of the like best casting choices from Doctor Manhattan because before that, I was hearing suggestions like uh, Keanu Reeves and um, a few others that I was just like, really, like him? Yeah. You know, I I I would have never thought of Billy Crudup as as Doctor Manhattan, but he did do a great job. Yeah, just like, like I would never thought of Patrick Wilson as as a uh, night night owl. Yeah, night owl. Yeah. If anybody was kind of weak, I would have said it was maybe Matthew Good as Ozymandias, and that's only because I feel like he didn't really get good character development. Not any fault of his own. Just no, he was like really kind of underused. Well, considering I- his you know his importance to the story that's the thing i think that's the thing about the the character is that he's so important to the story but it has to be a big reveal in the end that he's the bad guy so they in even in the the original watchman story he, he doesn't get a lot of uh screen time i guess page time is another way to put it because you need him to be mysterious so that the reveal is bigger at the end i suppose yeah which is how they could maybe using the before Watchmen format for the following right. seasons that could expand on him more that way. Yeah, that would work. Yeah. So you see him kind of as like the villain, and then you kind of find out well he's much more complex. Exactly. And things that led up to that that'd mm. be kind of cool. It, you know, kind of like uh, just kind of like how they did with Jamie Lannister. You push him, <laughs> push a kid out of a window, and then you, oh man, I, I love that guy. Yeah, so conflicted. Can't wait till he goes up north and sees Bran again. <laughs> oh, yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, sorry about that. I lost a hand. That makes you feel any better. <laughs> All right, well, uh, another thing I wanted to touch up on is uh, being a movie and music fan that I am, I always like it when uh, they make a biopic of bands or musicians i like i'm still waiting for that andre 3000 vehicle of Jimi hendrix that apparently was made but never got a wide release or i don't know what the deal is there but yeah anyway rami malik as freddie mercury some footage is coming out and i likes what i see so far i mean all i've seen is the the, the few pictures um mm-hmm. and yeah, the makeup department did an amazing job Making him look like Freddie Mercury. Yeah, and there's also been some... I don't know if this was officially released or if it was just kind of leaked by like spies on set. But there's been some um, shots of the recreation of the Live Aid from 1985. And it's from a distance, but I mean, you get a kind of a decent look at what's going on. And it looks really cool. I mean, he's pantomiming as Freddie Mercury almost pretty much spot on. Like he's doing like the high kicks and the prancing around like a diva and then, you know, hitting the piano. He's lip syncing on point, which I mean, it's hard not to do that well, but 
you know, combining it with the performance, I'm really excited, looking forward to that that whole uh, thing there. I can't wait for a trailer to be released. I mean, I imagine it's not going to be too far away. Uh, you know, they've, they've probably gotten quite a bit done. Yeah, yeah. I just kind of hope that the movie is not in the same state that caused uh, Sasha Baron Cohen to leave, which is they were going to be focusing more on the band members than Freddie Mercury. Well, I mean, if if that's the reason why he left, then that's probably the reason that they're probably going to keep with that. Yeah, I hope they realized after the fact that, oh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do it that way. So, <laughs> I also feel like Sasha Baron Cohen and Rami Malek, there's a big discrepancy in, in their heights there. There is. So uh, Rami Malek, I mean, Freddie Mercury was pretty average-heighted, I guess. Was he? Uh, Rami Malek is on the shorter side of it, and Sasha Baron Cohen was on the taller side. So I think the shorter version works a little bit better. Okay. Because he... Uh, I don't know. It feels more in line with the rest of the cast. Fair enough. Uh, so, I guess that. I mean, I mean, I don't really have much of uh, anything for or for. Queen. I mean, I like Queen, but I don't have anything that I am too uh, dire about. So, however, I am a big fan of the x-men not so much the later movie not not i mean i liked i liked first class a lot i liked um uh, i'm one of the few people that liked x-men last stand uh the first x-men movie x-men 2 i liked those i just didn't like uh what's it um days of future past or apocalypse and we're coming up on dark phoenix here pretty soon and Daniel Cudmore, who played Colossus in X2 and X3, tw- someone on Twitter asked him, uh, Dan, are you playing Colossus in X-Men Dark Phoenix? Or might it be uh, for the role of Gladiator? And he responded with, I can't comment on what character I'm playing. Sorry. So that's interesting. Yeah. And, I mean, my first instinct would have been, oh, well, if he's not playing Colossus, maybe it's a different Russian character, like Omega Red or something. But I got to thinking, and we discussed it a little bit. It's I don't remember him ever speaking in any of the roles. I mean, he said, hey, like that, you know, yeah. at one point in X2. But there was no Russian inflection in it that I noticed. I don't remember any of his spoken words in X-Men 3 because I hated that movie. I think he was in Dark Phoenix also. Or not Dark Phoenix, sorry. Days of Future Past. He was in the future part where they were trying to defend uh, Kitty and and Xavier. That looked all CGI though. Was he ever in human form? Yeah, I don't know. He might not have been been in human form in that whole movie. And I don't remember him speaking in there either. All I remember is he got ripped apart at one point, and that's about it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if he'll be doing Omega Red, but the fact that they're throwing Gladiator out there, which is, you know, the bodyguard of the Queen of the Sh- of Shair. Shiar. Shiar, thank you. Yeah, so that's interesting. So that means they are going to bring the cosmic element into it, huh? Maybe. Well, yeah, definitely with the Dark Phoenix. I, I, I had heard that they were going to bring the Shiar in, which is... Uh, you know, that's kind of a big thing, seeing as how Fox owns Shi'ar, and that means MCU can't use them. I, I wonder if they also... I, I'm pretty sure that they have to also own the Scrolls. That's why... it Because they own Fantastic Four. And the Brood, maybe? Maybe the Brood. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. 
So maybe they're taking their cue from like, hey, the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff worked out okay for MCU. Let's let's use our version of that. Yeah, probably. They're, they're probably, you know, they're, they're definitely playing um, fast and loose with the, the characters over there. So they, uh, they'll try and do whatever they can to, to, um, yeah. So do you suppose this means that if he's not returning as Colossus, they might be using the Colossus from Deadpool in future X-Men movies? I do. I really do think that they'll be using the, the Colossus from Deadpool in the future movies, which means that you wouldn't have the, f- the human version of him anymore. Cause I don't think the guy that does the voice looks anything oh, like, no, he does not. Yeah. <laughs> so he does a good Russian accent, but he's rather lanky looking fellow. Yeah. So that's unfortunate, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, could be worse. Could be, uh, another, what was it? Days of future past and whatever the last one was. I don't even remember the apocalypse. Subtitle. Yeah. Oh, the movie was so bad. It was bad. Anyway, uh, moving on from that, <laughs> uh, things that leave a bad taste in your mouth. Uh, yeah, so Matthew Vaughn is starting to drop some hints about what he would like to do with Man of Steel 2. I think uh, that's very interesting because this is the guy that directed um, Kick-Ass and Kick-Ass 2 and Kingsman. Uh, and now Kingsman 2, and he also has, he says he has a story ready for Kingsman 3, so he's going to be doing a Superman movie, Man of Steel 2, which was, for a while there, up in the air whether or not they were actually going to make that movie. Yeah, and what there's, well, what he's saying is really interesting. If you've hated Man of Steel and Batman v Superman for its bleak and kind of bland portrayal of the Man of Steel, this might be good news. Um, even if it kind of conflicts with the tone of the other movies, he's definitely throwing out words like Donner and uh, colorful. You know, but that's what Brian Singer did too. He basically remade Richard Donner's Superman 1 and 2. Well, that was his mistake. I believe, yeah, exactly right. Uh, the. Brian Singer? Brian Singer, yeah. <laughs> I got my directors mixed up in my head. Brian Singer um, essentially tried to do a remake of Superman the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, he got a lot of things right. I think he casted a really good guy to play Clark Kent. Um, oh, I, I appreciate uh, Brandon Routh as Clark Kent more now than I did when that movie first came out. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. he did like the, the dude that played Jimmy Olsen was like spot on. Yeah. Sam Huntington? Yes, uh, Matthew, not Matthew Perry, <laughs> Perry White, um, was a good Perry White? I yeah. believe he was Skeletor? I don't, no. Frank oh, yeah, Langella. you're right, that's Frank, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, you're right. Skeletor was Perry White, yeah. Um, I, I, I like, um, Lawrence Fishburne as, as Perry White. Oh, he's not bad as Perry White, it's just, I don't know, he feels more like, uh, like, uh, J. Jonah Jameson than Perry White. Oh, and those two characters should definitely be different. So. Yeah, but um, anyway, uh, I like what he's saying. He's saying that he wants to... He says that Richard Donner basically got it right the first time. Like, he nailed the Superman tone, what he should be. He's a beacon of hope. He's a, you know, a ray of light. He should be colorful. He should be bright. You know, he should be inspiring, not dour and 
muted and have like a constipated face all the time <laughs> um so like if he can bring some of that spirit i'm not saying remake richard donner's movie because you can't do that we already know what happens you have a boring ass superman movie like what brian singer did true uh that was its biggest mistake you know for as big budget as that movie was it it, it felt like it didn't do anything true and i think if you take the man of steel and you donnerize it a little bit give it that matthew vaughn polish basically what he did to reinvigorate x-men with first class you know you you go from having the black suits to them now having somewhat comic accurate uh you know whatever i I think they're playing it smart by you know they know his strength right they know that he's done this before and he can do it again and he's a good storyteller too you know he definitely is i i'm very hopeful for his man of steel and like i guess the the Superman symbol really lives up to it with uh, Matthew Vaughn right now. Fair enough. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see what, where the state of Superman is after Justice League. Because like, as of right now, at the end of Batman v Superman, he's dead. Are we just being coy right now, or like, are you seriously like? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I know he's going to be back to life. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, what is he, like, what? How is he going to be acting, like? in comparison to his life in the comic books like are we going to get the point in justice league where after he died fighting doomsday he didn't have powers for a while you know wearing the black suit um is there going to be some uh you know superboy clone or yeah superboy clone is there going to be um uh steel is there going to be a radicator cyborg superman oh, any of those if, things gonna if happen they would have done that correctly yes please i would have loved to have seen an eradicator superman so much <laughs> but no i think we're not gonna get any of that reign of the superman thing um i mean because that would have been its own like honestly the death of superman should have been its own trilogy it really should yeah and i mean they really <laughs> you would have had like you know the whole death of superman would have been the first movie reign of the superman would have been the second and then defeating uh, cyborg superman yeah and, and the destruction of coast city and all that i mean there's where it would actually make sense to have like them blow up an entire city yeah you don't do that in your first movie no <laughs> or at least you shouldn't you know that should have been later and then you could have had green lantern be all pissed off at superman <laughs> and whatever ah <sighs> yeah man see this why aren't we working in hollywood i just don't understand what where the warner brothers executives think that they don't need to like take a look at what's going on in the comic books or where the comic books have already told you. You know why? Because they do market research, and the people that those people look at aren't avid comic book readers. They're like the average, uh, you know, Joe on the street. So. Yeah, but see, the story are, are, was already successful in the comic book. Why change it, thinking that it's going to be better as a as a movie? Like. Uh, the way that they change it for the movie is going to be better. Why not just try try sticking to the story that was already written? Uh, because executives are not creatives, <laughs> but unfortunately they drive the business. That's true. That's very true. Well, still talking about um, Justice League, it looks like uh, some people got to see the early screenings of it, and the the word is... It's uh, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Question mark. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna put a big old question mark on it, like Riddler size question mark on that, because I don't, I don't want to. I'm not gonna believe it until I see it. Well, some of the 
like talking heads that have been kind of giving us the you know the early word on some of these premieres or early test screenings rather have been kind of accurate you know when we got word of a suicide squad they were telling us yeah it's kind of a, a mess yeah which turned out to be true um the first test screening of wonder woman said it was uh you know, passable at best mm-hmm. and not too great. But then afterwards, uh, there were some reshoots or some other rejiggering of the plot, and it turned out to be quite entertaining. You know, it, it's a very decent for DCU. And if this is any indication of kind of the same process, then, I mean, it can only get better from here if it turns out to be, you know, good at all. And, yeah, it, it's kind of unfortunate. I think this has been mentioned in other places, but... It kind of feels unfortunate that if the movie does turn out to be really good, that uh, the new director, Joss Whedon, uh, Joss Whedon uh, is going to get all the credit for it. But if it sucks, then Zack <laughs> Snyder is going to get all the blame for it, saying, well, like, you know, you can only do so much with it. <laughs> so either way, I think it's going to suck for Zack Snyder. Either he's not going to get the credit he's due or he's probably going to get shat on, like, mercilessly and kind of unnecessarily i don't know uh uh, sorry i think it could go either way um i I think the two of them have been pretty well uh interviewed or or um quoted as has talking about how it's a very even split of 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 them making this movie together now um joss whedon having to come in and and make some changes or do some reshoots and you know he's gotten himself a uh writing credit on it from what he's done so far which apparently is really difficult to do after the movie has already started now this is something that most people don't really care about but it's kind of a big deal in like hollywood as far as for like director skill type things but what do you think we're going to see as as far as directing credit are we going to see one or the other or kind of unprecedented actually have both be credited as I think, directors i think they'll both be credited as directors that'd be interesting yeah um i think yeah i think definitely with the the directing guild they'll make it so that that it's that way because yeah both uh, both of them have interest parties you know that would be fighting for their side or whatever kind of on a tangent to directing and all that stuff i heard that uh Disney had to pay Paramount a buttload of money in order to uh, secure J.J. Abrams to direct episode nine. I heard that as well. Um, I mean, I, I can't really speak to it. I don't. I, I, didn't, I didn't read the the article, but I did hear. I did see that. Um, and whether or not it's true is another story. Yeah, it sounded like it was seven figures. So that would be what million dollars plus. Yep. To. Yeah. basically say hey can we borrow him for a little bit yeah we need to whatever project you were gonna try and put him on needs to be put aside while we use him to direct another star wars movie yeah so which it, apparently also goes back to when he made episode seven because he was still on contract to make a paramount movie at that point which whatever came of that uh, what was his next film after episode seven i don't I don't think he made anything after episode seven. I thought he worked on something. Maybe I'm wrong. He, I mean, he probably worked on something because he's a he's a hardworking man. He's got a lot of uh, a lot of projects in the thing, but I don't think he directed anything. He's got his tentacles all over the place. Ah, uh, I see what you did there. 
I mean, he obviously didn't do in, not Into Darkness. What was the Beyond Star Trek Beyond? Star Trek Beyond was directed by Justin Lin. Justin Lin. Yeah. So he uh, he probably my one of like my favorite of the new Kelvin verse or Kelvin timeline. Did you did you like that movie? Yeah, I enjoyed it too. I think it was because it wasn't uh, in, with the involvement of Kurtzman and Orsi, which, again, there's like a whole list of people I don't like in Hollywood. Yeah, directing-wise, he didn't do anything after Force Awakens. Huh, interesting. So but I wonder pre- what it was they were keeping him on retainer for over at Paramount. I don't know. hope it wasn't for the Cloverfield sequel. <laughs> well, I think he's producers on that because he, he, he produced 10 Cloverfield Lane. And also Cloverfield and... Oh, that's right. Matt Reeves directed Cloverfield, didn't he? Yep. Um, but yeah, he's definitely got a lot of producing done. He's got Moonshot, Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. Particle is supposed to be the next movie in the Cloverfield universe, but I don't know if he was such a director or not. I think it's the one I see is it's called Overlord. Sounds cool. Or there's also a Cloverfield movie there. <laughs> he's also got. That should be the title, but it's also like a. Abrams Sucker Abrams parody of the Cloverfields, <laughs> a Cloverfield movie. He's also got uh, Portal as a movie. Oh, man, I'd love to see that yeah. if they did that right. Uh, I kind of hope they do a Half-Life 3 movie to kind of tie up that series, too, since we're obviously never getting the game You're now. never going to get the game. It's just not, yeah, not going to happen. not going to happen. Now... Another one that's uh, near and dear to my heart is the anime Akira, based on the manga Akira, which uh, if you like the movie, you should definitely check out the manga, because the movie is only like a quarter of the full story. There's way more there, into, you know, as far as the manga is concerned. I think it ran for like eight years or something like that. It was, it was a huge series. Um, so the movie's been in... Um, like Hollywood production hell for feels like two decades now. And uh, it looks like it's starting to pick up some traction now with uh, Thor Ragnarok's director, Taika Waititi, who I still feel is a very inspired choice for director <laughs> because before that, I only knew him from like, what we do in the dark. Right. And Beasts of the Wild People, or what is it? Wilder People? What are, what, something about the Wilder People. Um. Uh, Beast of the no. Southern Wild or something like that? No, that's a that's a took completely different movie. <laughs> it's but it is something of the Wilder People. And I forget what it's what it's called, but Search Search of the Wilder People. Oh, Search for the Wilder People. Uh, but yeah, I mean he's also Flight of the Concords. Mm-hmm. He was an actor in Green Lantern, the one with Ryan Reynolds. Was he? He was the sidekick. I did not recognize him. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, he's he's, a chameleon. he's the new one. He's the newest director attached to directing a Akira movie, live action Akira movie. Which I think the last person I remember hearing that was might be doing that was Spielberg, right? No, the last person I remember hearing attached to it was uh, what is his name? Um, oh man, it's killing me now. It was it was somebody you wouldn't think would be attached to a property like Akira. Was it Scorsese? It was I, not Scorsese. Because I remember, I remember Leonardo DiCaprio. There was talks of him playing uh, Canada. Canada, thank you. Oh please no. That's my biggest concern. Okay, so there's three properties I'm currently like really psyched about, but also really scared of that they might be doing, uh, you know, live action versions of. 
And that's Robotech, Akira, and Shadow of the Colossus, which we talked on the last episode. Right. Uh, only because you happened to mention in passing that the director of it was attached to direct it. And I'm right. Like, no way. <laughs> uh, yeah, so those properties, um, they are very steeped in the culture that they are created in. Uh, so much like Ghost in the Shell, it doesn't make sense to replace the main character with a person of a different ethnicity. Um, I mean, if the par- if the if they cast the right actor, that's one thing. But simply making it a different ethnicity because it would sell better in the country it's being filmed in, I would rather you just don't do it. I mean, you're just gonna get another Ghost in the Shell if you do that. You know, like obviously that doesn't work. Uh, Ghost in the Shell did not do well it was, commercially. Yeah, it was not good. Um, so basically, yeah, like I kind of. I like the idea of Taika Waititi because visually, from just from the teasers for Thor Ragnarok, it looks like he's got a handle on you know that kind of cityscape. It definitely has to have a real crazy, vivid, uh, you know, palette for your cinematography. So there's no concern there. I'm sure he got that down. I just hope he cast it right. You know, if you're gonna cast somebody named Akira, don't put someone like Leonardo DiCaprio in the role. <laughs> you know, I know it's Neo Tokyo and it's the future, but it's I mean, there's still got to be Japanese in there somewhere. Yeah, so that that's just my biggest thing. I, I just, I mean, I remember I watched Akira back back when I was uh, in high school, grade school, or middle school, yeah, somewhere it's been around out there. since the late '80s. So yeah, it's been out for a while. Uh, and I get it, and I see why everybody likes it, but I, I don't know. I don't. It's gonna be interesting. I, I've just never been an anime fan, but. Speaking of of what, there is a prequel to Blade Runner twenty forty nine that's going to be uh, all anime, I guess. This is a short film that's going to be released on Crunchyroll for free. Yeah, it's going to be from the director of Cowboy Bebop. Oh, okay. Which, if uh, if you've never seen it before, it's it's very very cool, very noir esque sci fi, um, like crime thriller type thing you got a crew of people it's i would actually liken it a little bit like firefly but instead of western it's got more of like a 1940s more vibe to it it's kind of jazzy uh the main character spike spiegel he looks very retro um he actually kind of looks like elliot gould did in the 70s oh yeah yeah, he's he does. got a really crazy but like kind of classy look at the same time. Always smoking a cigarette, you know, man of few words, but lots of action. Um, if he were American, he'd probably be Shaft. But I mean, so does that? You think that plays out well for a Blade Runner type movie? Yes, as a matter of fact. Uh, well, I mean, and this isn't the first time we're seeing something like this happen. The Matrix did that with, with the, the Animatrix. Animatrix. Yeah, they did it as both uh, prequels and side stories to The Matrix, uh, which were actually really, really good. The The second Renaissance Part 1 and 2 was so good, it could have been its own movie. I enjoyed um, The Runner and the idea that not just people who saw beyond the the veil, I guess, by, of putting it, that, you know, using computers and stuff, but like a person who pushed themselves to the physical peak was able to break out of the break out, break through the matrix, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just because they were skilled in such a way. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the, uh, 
the one with the haunted house motif. Yeah, the, the kind of the, the, the kind of that's kind of, you know that was very uh, when I watched uh, Thor two the Dark World. Yeah. I had a very much rem- reminiscent of that. Yeah, I had a very strong vibe of like something is not right in this world right mm-hmm. now. And that's exactly what it was, except in The Matrix, it was a glitch. It was a glitchy house, which defied the rules of gravity and physics and whatnot, which was so neat. Such a cool idea. Just to see the, and the kids are just throwing things and jumping off of the with the third story and not getting hurt and stuff. Yeah, not like stopping right before hitting the ground and... Being able to uh, go into one room and come out of a completely different area that didn't make sense. It was really <laughs> neat. I really like that idea. It's like they, they could do a whole nother, uh, you know, like, see, there's a thing with the Matrix. It That idea is so fertile. You could come up with so many cool side stories for exactly that. Like it could have been it's a television series, you know, Matrix a series. Yeah. Of like just well, weird things happening. You know, they're they, they going to be bringing it back here uh, in the next couple of years. They're going to be bringing the property back up and doing stuff with it. So we'll see what they end up doing. Yeah, I just hope they, they don't leave us hanging and actually live up to the promise of things like werewolves, vampires, aliens, and ghosts like the sec- the sequel did, but didn't pay off. Right. It was the same problem somebody said on online before with... Uh, a movie with a great idea but poor execution, uh, Last Action Hero. Fair enough. Where you have the idea that, oh, this magic movie ticket can bring anyone from a movie out into the real world. And you see Charles Dance, our very own Tywin Lannister, uh, going through the list of movies he wants to go check out. And there's like Dracula and Freddy Krueger and all these other ones. I'm like, holy crap, he's going to pull all these like awesome like cinema monsters and villains to help him like fight Arnold Schwarzenegger. In the end, he only gets one other villain. It's one we've already seen from his own movie. <laughs> I'm like, well, he, lame. He inadvertently gets Death out, and Death doesn't want anything to do with any of that stuff. He's like, I don't do fiction, so it doesn't. You know, <laughs> who's to say they would? They would. Dracula would want to kill Jack Slade or Jack Slater. Um, but I think you're gonna get that with uh, Ready Player One. So. Oh, uh, yeah, I can't wait for that one now. That's, uh, that's a whole different tangent. But, yeah, I, I actually bought the book. Did uh, you? Yes. I listened to the audiobook last year, so. I You know, I started listening to the audiobook online um, on YouTube. Somebody that I'm not quite sure if it's a man or a woman, but could be either, uh, is reading the book chapter by chapter. Really? Um, but I just can't stand this person's voice. So uh, I was like, I'm just going to buy it and read it on my own. The official audiobook is Will Wheaton's voice. <laughs> right. I bet he does a good job. Yeah. Especially the parts when they he has to talk about himself because he's like the president of uh, Oasis or the co-president. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Uh, Wesley Crusher. So uh, I know there was a what were we just talking about? There was something else that you, that kind of tied in with that. With oh, True Lies. True Lies is going to be having a TV show. Yes, uh, Cameron is producing a live act, or well, yeah, because all live actions are given. Um, a TV series based on True Lies, which I mean, just makes me think of like Lethal Weapon on Fox right now is a TV series. Is it really? Yeah. And they're going into their second season, so their first season was 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 good enough. Well, I don't watch TV. I guess that makes the difference. But yeah, but that's the kind of a thing. Uh, What's uh, Sci-Fi Channel just wrapped up third season of Twelve Monkeys, 
I think. Um, who else is who else has got movies that got turned into TV shows? Uh, oh, Limitless. I thought Limitless was a great TV show, and it only lasted a year or one season. And that was directly tied into the movie? or Directly was tied yeah. into the movie because uh, it's not Bradley Cooper's character, but Bradley Cooper's character from the movie still exists as a senator. And uh, he kind of constantly came back to, to talk to the kid that's, uh, you know, using the pills as a way to help solve crime. Minority Report got turned into a TV show, and that one, like, ended quickly. <laughs> uh, I don't remember that one even existing. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't good. Yeah, and plus Shooter, yeah. Shooter just got made into a TV show. Oh, really? Yeah, and they're on, they just finished up their second season on USA. Hmm. But yeah, there's a long line of uh, you know movies getting, well, TV shows getting turned into movies, and movies getting turned into TV shows now, and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to see if that gets. Uh, well, I mean, I guess with one of the ones we cover here, Westworld, that's just it, kind of thirty years apart, but exactly it, the same thing. Exactly. So. Uh, one of the last things that I want to talk about is Frank Grillo teasing that Crossbones could possibly be making a return to the MCU. Now, so when we last left Grillo, aka Crossbones, he was getting blowed up. He he blew himself up, and uh, the Scarlet Witch put him in, encased him inside of a bubble so that uh, others wouldn't die. But then she he, she didn't quite keep her concentration and he blows up and takes out uh some of the wakandan consulate um but this is what grillo was quoted saying it's great to be part of marvel 2 and i have three boys who are fanatical about marvel and and i was surprised not too long ago because there is some news that nobody knows yet to do with my character that's going to be a real that's going to be really interesting and i'm excited about that now I think with the fact that you have uh, Infinity Crystals or Infinity Gems uh, being thrown around, there's a chance for him to come back there. Uh, we already know, or at least it's, it's been rumored, that uh, Captain Marvel uh, with um, Brie Larson is going to be taking place in the 90s. So there's a chance that we see Brock Lumlow and maybe not uh, Crossbones, so to speak, show up there. Um, there's also, you know, Captain America might feel, have some guilt over the fact that Crossbones was killed and, you know, there might be a flashback or something. Yeah. My thinking is it's probably going to be a vision. Uh, probably when Thanos gets a hold of the mind gem, he's going to, you know, go into Cap's mind and, you know, bring out someone from his past. It won't really be Crossbones just, but you know, you have the guy playing him right in it so that's probably more in line with what we'll see now i'd be more interested in finding out if they're ever going to bring back the red skull you know and that's interesting thing but if they did i think they might have to recast because hugh hugo weaving said a lot about not wanting to come back to ever (laughs) do to do that again so well to be fair i kind of feel like he was a weak red skull anyway like his german accent was (laughs) bad um and to be honest i I don't know too many German actors or actors that do good German accents, but a good German accented actor would be uh, Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz would be good, but I feel like he's a little on the short side. 
which you know is, is already going to be CGI to 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 mess with his face, so I can get it. But I would go to another movie that Christoph Waltz was in, uh, uh, Inglorious Bastards, and you use the guy who was German but on Brad Pitt's team. I forget what that actor's name. Oh yeah, that guy. The uh... But he's a defector. Yeah, but he's oh. supposedly a huge actor in Germany. Like hmm. he's like Tom Cruise level actor there. So uh, I would use him. That's an interesting choice. Uh, he definitely would be more imposing. And he'd be a little. I mean, he might be a little de-aged, but you know, well, it's it's. Well. He was the it was the cosmic cube or the uh, the tesseract. Same thing, yeah. yeah. That's or the space gem, right? yeah. Now, yeah, now it's a, now it's another infinity stone. So, you never know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I just kind of hope he does come back because I feel like he hasn't really had his due. You know, like how would he react to the way the world is now, the way it's changed? I mean, <laughs> would he take a look at our current presidency and be like, Psh, "My work here is done." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what they ended up doing with the Red Skull character in, or right before Secret Empire in the comic books. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's all that. Um, did you have a, another story? I did. Uh, but pretty much my last one for now. Uh, going back to trailers, uh, the trailer for a movie that I'm really excited about now, The Current War. The Current War. Now. Yes, this is a subject that's also near and dear to my heart and also happens to be based on uh, like real historical events. So when I first saw this trailer, I, I got a little confused because everything... That, and I, I'm sorry because I've never actually um, looked up the, the, the historical events myself, but I always thought it was uh, Edison who was messing with Tesla, you know... In saying that, you know, it's going to hit Tesla's, uh, was alternate current. Yeah. Was going to kill people and stuff, but it looks like it was in this trailer. It has Edison saying that about, um, Westinghouse. Yes. Um, well, you're not wrong. The, the, the way that actually played out. And if you haven't watched it, I would recommend seeing the drunk history Mm -hmm. explanation of the current war. Um, if you um, want to see uh, Crispin Glover and John C. Riley, uh, I in, always want to see those two in those roles. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So basically, Edison was the dude that was pushing forth direct current, right? And uh, Westinghouse was trying to compete with him, and it was Nikola Tesla that did come up with AC, uh, you know, energy or uh, electricity. But he was more of a free agent. He was just like a genius for hire, basically. And Westinghouse got a hold of him and was like, hey, like, I want to invest in your idea to help beat this prick named Edison over here. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's basically where the, the current war really began. But um, once Edison got wind of the AC energy and saw that it was going to be a legitimate threat to his DC monopoly, he tried to smear AC or you know, alternating current by saying it was way more dangerous, um, doing really gross live stunts like electrocuting elephants in public and uh, somehow lobbying to have AC currents be used in um, 
Well, that was uh, redundant. <laughs> AC <current. laughs> uh, using AC uh, to electrocute prisoners and like the first electric chair, uh, you know, executions in New York, and even wanted to have the process be called Westinghousing. Mm. It's like, oh, you got Westinghouse. <laughs> Therefore, like, you know, also be smirching the name of Westinghouse. And uh, so, yeah, you, the, the, the trailer already shows that there's going to be a lot of that going on. A lot of the rivalry, re- rivalry between these two businessmen and Nikola Tesla, who was infamously not a good businessman. Um, you know, he ended up getting taken advantage of quite a bit in his uh, lifetime of uh, creating really cool stuff. So. He's going to be sort of like the loose cannon or the wild card that, you know, turns the tide of the current war. And I think it's uh, good to note that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is playing uh, Edison and Michael Shannon is playing Westinghouse and Nicholas Holt is playing Tesla. Yes, Nicholas Holt is playing Nikola Tesla. Yeah, so there's a that's that's a really strong cast. Yes, it is a very inspired cast. Yeah, Uh, especially with uh, Cumberbatch as Edison because um i did not see that coming (laughs) but it's really cool that he's 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 got those facial structure that just lends itself to like playing historical characters true he just looks like he was ripped out of the like late 18 early 1900s yeah like did you watch um imitation game yes i did where he played turin yeah he did great at that he was that was a great role yeah did a good job so the last thing i wanted to bring up was uh, a 21 year old belgian student created the world's largest uh or i'm sorry biggest game boy uh and it got put into the world the guinness world guinness world records um i I just thought that was an interesting story it it came in at uh, 101 centimeters long 62 centimeters wide and 20 centimeters deep and it's still got the the spinach green screen yeah, that was, I mean, I got to give him props for just how faithful he was to the reproduction of the original. Um, he even made it so it's not backlit in any way. Yep. It's just literally just an expanded or enlarged version of the original architecture. Um, which, I mean, this being the age of nostalgia for the 80s, early 90s for us, I kind of respect that you know that, that, mean, that old game boy was a tank i mean like how old was this guy when the first game boy came out honestly i'd be surprised if he hadn't even been born yet yeah i wouldn't be surprised either he was what is he 24 21 21 yeah he wouldn't have been born yet <laughs> he would have been like uh i mean at that point i think the game boy color might have been out yeah probably like the original game boy would have been long uh you know obsolete but yeah uh, <laughs> i have a personal story when it comes to the game boy so the original game boy came out in 89 i believe that was right on the cusp of me turning 10 <laughs> which was also the point where my parents were no longer buying me toys they pretty much said you're you're growing up you're gonna be a, a man soon um yeah you need to quit it with this video game nonsense <laughs> at 10 S- at 10 yes <laughs> Well, they're from, like, old school Mexico. Right. So, I mean, by that age, my dad already had, like, three jobs and, <laughs> you know. And was supporting a family. Was bro- Yeah, he was breaking horses in the spare time and whatnot. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I begged and pleaded, and I think at some point, somehow, I even managed to put a Game Boy on layaway at Kmart. 
back when that was a thing, on my own. Um, met with many spankings from my parents yeah. afterwards because, uh, yeah, that's not something you do behind their back. No. And um, so, yeah, I never got to have the original Game Boy back when it was current technology. Um, my first Game Boy was the Game Boy Color. And I got that with my own money after working my own like job for a couple years because screw you, mom and dad. Uh, that's my money now, and I can do with it what I want. And, um, yeah, so I've always had a sort of a nostalgic uh, reverence to the original, probably because I never got to have it. Um, and to this day, as a matter of fact, I still play the original Tetris cartridge on a Game Boy Advance SP. Because it's the last one that was backwards compatible with uh, the original Game Boy games. And it has the added bonus of you can play it in uh, different color palettes if you choose to. Mm. As a matter of fact, I was just playing that right before I came over to do this recording. I was killing some time. <laughs> I was like, let's see if I can beat my score today. And uh, yeah, I get pretty up there. And kind of a fun fact to that, uh, Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple. Right. And you know the actual brains behind the thing. Right was kind of infamous for getting high scores in Nintendo Power so much that uh, they started blacklisting him from entering his name into the, you know, the listings. Right. So he had to get creative. He would start sending in aliases or anagrams of his name. So, like, one of them was literally his name just backwards. Wow. And, like, I can't even remember how you pronounce Wozniak backwards, but basically that. (laughs) And yeah, it was like a super crazy high score, like 270,000, which is really hard to get. Because at that point, you can't even see the shapes anymore. They're just like little blurs of pixels scrolling down. So I just know that when I remember when I was a kid, I asked my parents for a Game Boy. Uh, What I unwrapped at Christmas was a... uh, handheld game of the simpsons a tiger electronics i know it wasn't tiger electronics <laughs> but it was some type of handheld game and it was the simpsons where you know the background was the same background all the time all it was is the lights in front of it changed and it was this game where um you're bart simpson and you have a tray and marge is just throwing muffins <laughs> out of the kitchen and you're supposed to catch the muffins it you know on the tray so all i can imagine is that <laughs> my mother going to uh whatever department store she went to asking whatever clerk hey uh, you know my kid wants one of these uh game things and the clerk just being like oh this is what you want and just grabbing it off a shelf and, and, and giving that to her that sounds exactly like what's happened because i had something similar like that happen once too there was a toy that I wanted so badly, and I told everybody I wanted it. Um, this was in the mid-'80s. It was it was like an Etch-A-Sketch, except that you could actually make short animations with it. Mm. I have no idea how it worked, but it, I guess it must have had some kind of memory where you can do, like, five pictures back-to-back, and then it would play them for you. And so I described that as best as I could to everybody. And I ended up getting that for Christmas. Um well, except that it was not that. It was the Etch-A-Sketch. <laughs> it's an actual Etch-A-Sketch. Yeah. So I was like, well, it's like that thing that's red and it has the white knobs and you can make a picture on it, but it moves. 
they didn't understand that part where it was animated. They're just like, oh, where you could draw a picture, it's this thing, you can shake it. Okay, yeah, that must be it. Um, I think also they probably did find it, but saw the price difference. And just said, yeah, you can get an And like, sketch. no, you're getting this one. Yeah. <laughs> all, like, right. all right, that's all the geek knows worth talking about this week. Uh, we'd love to hear your input on some of those things if you would like to throw that at us. I'm on Twitter as at agent underscore of the underscore bat. John's also on Twitter as... I am at Magic Bollocks. The rest of Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter, at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram, and Facebook.com backslash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. Check out our website, geekeliteradio.com, for more archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network, uh, as well as other articles and fun things that we're starting up over there. Uh, please check us out and share with your friends. Uh, but until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying, always remember to geek, geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.